Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband, Bob. In our last podcast message, we focused on Genesis chapter 2. We read how the first human being, Ha-Adam, was put to sleep, and how the first woman was taken from his side. After this miraculous event, Ha-Adam now referred to himself as the man, Ish, and to the new human being as the woman, Isha. Far from being depicted as a subordinate dependent, the first woman was created as a strong help to share dominion over the rest of God's creation alongside the first man. Today, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 3, the tragic story of how the first human beings were tempted by the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and how they both chose to turn away from God. In order to get an accurate translation without patriarchal bias, we will be reading from two different English versions of this passage. We begin with the New International Version. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
And now we will conclude the chapter by reading from the Common English Bible. The man named his wife Eve, because she is the mother of everyone who lives. The Lord God made the man and his wife leather clothes and dressed them. The Lord God said, The human being has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, so he doesn't stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to farm the fertile land from which he was taken. He drove out the human. To the east of the garden of Eden he stationed winged creatures wielding flaming swords to guard the way to the tree of life. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 3. And it is in this chapter that we find the first indication of any hierarchical relationship between a man and a woman in the Bible. It is important to recognize that we will find this first instance of patriarchy, otherwise known as the rule of men, listed among the consequences of humanity's fall into sin. To discuss the significance of this, we'd like to read from chapter 2 of our book entitled The Equality Workbook, Freedom in Christ, from the oppression of patriarchy. The only language of subordination found in the Genesis narrative occurs immediately after both Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, humanity's first sin. Whereas God told the first humans not to eat from a tree in the Garden of Eden, the serpent, Satan, encouraged them to eat with the promise that it would make them wise enough to be like God. Rather than elevating humanity to divine status, however, eating from the forbidden tree separated them from God spiritually and filled them with shame. As a result of listening to the serpent rather than God, men would now seek to rule over women. As it says in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Sadly, Patriarchal theologians have interpreted Genesis 3.16 not as a tragic consequence of sin, but rather as a reflection of God's will for husbands and wives. One complementarian website offers the following interpretation. Eve will try to usurp her husband's role as head, but God is requiring Adam to keep her from doing so. There are two problems with this kind of thinking. First, the passage does not say, in any language, Hebrew, Greek, or English, that a woman would desire to, quote-unquote, usurp her husband's role as head. Rather, the passage simply says that while Eve will desire, long for, or turn towards her husband, he will rule over her. In Hebrew, the word translated desire is teshuka. The same word is used in the Song of Solomon, in reference to a man's desire for the woman he loves. I belong to my beloved, and his desire, Teshuka, is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside, let us spend the night in the villages. And we find that in the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Is this man desiring to usurp the authority of his romantic partner? Of course not. There is no suggestion that Teshuka, either in the Song of Solomon or in Genesis 3.16, is a desire to usurp someone's authority. Second, a patriarchal interpretation wrongly assumes that God's prediction, he will rule over you, is actually a divine command. He must rule over you. 
Eve is portrayed as rebelling against God's created order, and Adam is allegedly appointed to keep her in her place. The Hebrew text says none of this. Through patriarchal commentary, a horrifying consequence of humanity's fall into sin, the male domination of women, is wrongly depicted as the will of God. The English Standard Version of the Bible, or ESV, provides yet another example of a patriarchal handling of this passage. The publishers of the ESV have recently announced that they are making changes to the English text of Genesis 3.16. The text is being changed from your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you to your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. In addition to ignoring the meaning of the Hebrew word teshuka, desire for, as it is used in the Song of Solomon, the ESV also ignores the meaning of the Greek word used for desire in Genesis 3.16 of the Greek Septuagint. And again, the Septuagint is a 2nd century BC Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. The Greek word used to describe Eve's desire for her husband is apostrophe. Writing in the 1st century AD, historian Flavius Josephus used this word to mean turning to someone for deliverance. Here's an English translation of Josephus' account. But still, because there appeared no other way whither they could turn themselves for deliverance, apostrophe, they made haste the same way with the soldiers and went to Claudius. Roman senators, who were previously opposed to the Emperor Claudius, were deserted by the Roman army. With no other course available to them, they turned to Claudius for leniency, reaffirming their allegiance. Born in the 2nd century AD, a Greek philosopher named Philostratus used apostrophe in a similar manner. In this account, servants of a man named Herodas turned to the people of Athens as a haven. Here's the quotation. Since I have mentioned the will of Atticus, I must also record the reasons why Herodas offended the Athenians. The terms of the will were as I have stated, and Atticus drew it up by the advice of his freedmen, who since they saw that Herodas was by nature prone to deal harshly with his freedmen and slaves, tried this way to prepare a haven for themselves, apostrophe, among the people of Athens, by appearing responsible for the legacy. Expecting to be treated harshly by Herodas, upon the death of his father Atticus, household servants turned to the people of Athens for refuge. The use of apostrophe to mean turning towards someone for refuge or deliverance has a very long history. In the 5th century BC, a historian named Herodotus used this word to explain that the Greeks had no one to turn to for water but the god they called Zeus. Here's the quotation. Greek land is watered by rain, not by river water like theirs. They said that one day the Greeks would be let down by what they counted on and miserably starve. Meaning that if heaven send no rain for the Greeks and afflict them with drought, the Greeks will be overtaken by famine. For there is no other source of water for them or no one else to turn to, apostrophe, except Zeus alone. 
The Perseus Digital Library from Tufts University explains that apostrophe was commonly used throughout the history of ancient Greek literature to mean when one turns away from all others to one and addresses him specially. Reflecting this meaning, an apostrophe also became a literary device used in epic poetry. It occurs when a character turns away from one person, often a god or a judge, and turns suddenly to another person in a desperate appeal for sympathy, support, or deliverance. Here's a quotation. Apostrophe is turning away from the normal audience and the addressing of another, second audience, surprisingly chosen by the speaker. Apostrophe is, so to speak, an emotional move of despair on the part of the speaker. Eve's circumstances in the Garden of Eden mirror the contexts in which we find apostrophe used in ancient literature to represent a turning away from a god or a judge and to an unexpected source for refuge. Eve, like Adam, had turned away from God by eating from the forbidden tree. Soon to be expelled from the garden, she would turn towards Adam, apostrophe. Rather than being the support she hoped for, however, he would now rule over her. The male domination of women is portrayed in the book of Genesis as a direct consequence of humanity's first sin. Rather than accurately reflecting this biblical truth, the new ESV translation misrepresents Eve's desire as somehow contrary to Adam's rule. She is made to appear resistant to what is portrayed as Adam's divinely ordained authority. In other words, a tragic consequence of humanity's sinful choice is wrongly portrayed as God's design. Sadly, patriarchal theology distorts yet another aspect of the creation account found in the Bible's book of Genesis. Over the centuries, many theologians have portrayed Adam, the first man, as a victim of temptation, not by the devil, but rather by his wife. Eve met the serpent while alone in the garden, they say, and then proceeded to bring the forbidden fruit to Adam to entice him to join her in rebellion against God. Those who hold to this belief claim that women have been subjugated to male authority as a just punishment for the sins of Eve. Men are told that women must be kept in a state of subjection for their own protection. Modern versions of this perspective continue to cast men in the role of leader and protector, while insisting that women must be submissive and embrace the roles of wife and mother. In contrast to this distorted view of the creation account, the Bible indicates that Eve was not Adam's tempter. Rather, they were together when Satan, through the serpent, tempted both of them to disregard God's command. As we read in Genesis 3 verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. The Bible never casts the first woman in the role of man's tempter. Rather, both male and female were present together, and both were tempted to disobey God. Male authority is nowhere depicted in the book of Genesis as God's plan or God's punishment. Rather, 
it is portrayed as the tragic outcome of humanity's decision to turn away from God and try to make our way without Him. And in our next podcast, we'll examine further consequences of humanity's fall as we read the story of Adam and Eve's first children, two sons named Cain and Abel.